Welcome to A Seat at the Table, where hosts Annie Zunsa and Sasha Shpilsky share the stories of inspiring women in science and technology. Each episode, they'll delve into the triumphs and challenges that have shaped the lives of these exceptional individuals, sharing profound insights and knowledge along the way. From breaking into quantum computing to revolutionary advancements in battery technology, this podcast is sure to expand your beliefs of what's possible and inspire you to pursue your own dreams. So join Annie and Sasha as they seek to understand what it takes to work in these STEM fields. Prepare to have your beliefs expanded and your aspirations reignited as they explore the limits of what's possible. Get ready to transcend limitations and embrace the infinite possibilities that lie ahead as they uncover the extraordinary stories waiting to be told, inviting you to join them as they push the boundaries of what's possible. Hello everyone, welcome to the second episode of A Seat at the Table. Today we're very excited to be joined by Jenna Dome, someone who Sasha and I had the pleasure of being mentored by this year. So uh, Jenna, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, So I had the pleasure of being Sasha and Annie's director this year because my full-time day job is with the Knowledge Society. So that means that I'm one of the directors, uh, which means that we, you know, be our coaches for students. Um, usually our cohorts are about 50 students big. And throughout a 10-month program, we learn about emerging technologies, mindsets, and skill sets. Basically everything we wish that school would teach us. That's what we get to do together. And what it's meant for us is that we've got to hang out for the last basically year and uh, do a bunch of different projects and just see the transformation that happens when people are given the tools that they need to succeed in the world. So I can totally go into more detail, but you guys can let me know how much to share. Yeah, of course. So first of all, I'd just like to say that Jenna was the absolute best director ever. She brought so much energy and she's been such such amazing insights. So me and Annie, we've heard this story before, but I'm going to be honest, I do not remember exactly. So how did you end up at TKS? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So uh, I've had a pretty unconventional path. A lot of people at the Knowledge Society, I think would resonate with that. That's kind of our slogan is unconventional thinking. And, uh, and so that has definitely been my story. And so before TKS, I have had a lot of different things uh, go on. You guys can ask me any questions more specifically, but right before TKS, I was in the startup world. So I was working at a company, was one of their first five employees, and we scaled it from zero to was doing about 50 million in revenue at the time. And uh, I had really loved the building process of startup world but I had missed the big impact on the world. And so through the startup journey, I had been learning about technology and I loved the ability for technology to scale and have impact. I'd also had some background in some teaching and education. I really believe that education is one of the things that if it's unlocked, people can reach their full potential, which is really aligned to how I think. And so I was looking and exploring for different ways that I could get involved with more technology and more things in the educational sphere. And so it was actually 
my husband had been talking to one of the founders and they had asked us to refer people for the director position. And so me and my husband were actually looking for referrals for this position, which was hilarious. And so we were thinking of people who we thought might be good because I was still really deep into the startup world. And when, if anyone's been in the startup world, you know that it's like all consuming, all encompassing. I was never thinking about heading out because I was so invested. And, uh, and, and then it was about a year later, I think. And I was reading the job description again. And I was like, wait a second, this could be something that I'm interested in. And so then we reached back out and we, uh, we were like, hey, what about if I do this job? And from there, we just got to have more conversations. I fell in love with just the impact and the mission that we have at the Noble at the Knowledge Society. I really wish that it existed when I was younger. And it holds everything that I've kind of like learned through my life as being really important. So the importance of mindset, the importance of skills, the freedom to pursue things in an unconventional way. And then just the exciting future of technology and how I really believe that so many exciting discoveries and things are going to change in our life because of technology. And so to be able to learn about that every day as my quote unquote job alongside the next leaders of our world in the next generation is like a dream. So it was so fun to be able to find it as kind of like a gem. And uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really feel like a job anymore, but that's how I came and found TKS. That's amazing how you were able to take that unconventional path because like personally, I know that if it weren't for TKS, I would be very, very skeptical about going down an unconventional path. So that's really nice that, you know, even though you had no clue what that was and didn't go through, you know, the mindsets and the training that uh, Sasha and I had, um, that you were able to do that shift and end up uh, where you are now. And I was just wondering, you know, you you say that, you're, you know, you're learning every day about cool technologies. What Do you have like something which is like the most amazing thing? What What would you say? was your most valued insight you've learned working in TKS so far? Yeah, I think it's, there's there's two things that I think really stand out for me, one on the technical side and then one on the mindset side. So technically it's been such a joy to really learn about things like artificial intelligence and genetic editing. Those have been my, my favorite technologies. Uh, personally, I've just had a lot of um, experience with people with healthcare issues and cancer. And so when I think about the future, especially of disease diagnostics and treatment, I get really excited when we think about genetic editing and specifically the intersection of artificial intelligence and what that could mean for the human life and the quality of life. And so I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about these things and how future technology could change our lives uh, before the Knowledge Society. So that's been a really big gift for me on just like the technology side and kind of being able to be my inner nerd all the time. I never really was in an environment that kind of fostered that type of nerdiness. And uh, it's really fun to just be able to, to nerd out on things and think about a future that could be bigger and brighter and, and where people can live happier and healthier lives. On the mindset side, I think this is going to be funny for you guys, because my biggest takeaway from uh, in general is what it looks like to have high standards. And 
you guys are laughing because we talk about high standards all the time and having feedback to make sure that, you know, what we're doing can be made better. And sometimes we ask if it can be non-sugar-coated because sometimes when we want to have high standards, it means hearing hard truths. And the reason why I say high standards, though, is because um, I think that sometimes our world and you know, companies and organizations and people, we settle for mediocrity. So we settle for things to be kind of low bar and be passive or apathetic. And, and I think being a part of this environment, and I'd actually, like, I mean, you guys can talk to this too, but a culture where high standards and excellence is really valued is, is so exceptional. And I, and I think that it doesn't mean what I love about the insight with TKS is it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. So we can be high standards, but we don't have to be perfect. And I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so to be able to aim for high standards, but be able to recognize that we learn by failing, we learn by doing a bias towards action, all the different mindsets that are so powerful Um has been a really wonderful thing for me. It's like we shoot high for high standards and we're not scared to get feedback. We're not scared to get coaching where like people might tell us some hard truths, but it unlocks something that we were stuck inside our heads about. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. And I think that that has been a really important lesson for me personally as like just an individual with learning and doing my role, but then also with coming along students like you guys and coaching you guys too and helping you recognize the difference between like perfectionism and high standards and that we can still strive for high standards and impact and dreaming big and 10x thinking without necessarily having to be perfectionists and I think that that difference is incredibly important um, and it's been something that has been so fun for me to practice personally and then also be able to coach as well. Yeah, I definitely agree 100%. The high standards thing, that has definitely had a huge impact. I went to a hackathon recently and our our presentation, I'm not going to lie, kind of gave up after a little bit. And then the team that won had like the highest standards. They're like, you know what, we're going to come in with a prototype. We're going to come in with customers. We're going to come in with like a crazy fire slide deck. So that's definitely something that you should keep in mind, like that improving 1% better every day. So TGS has definitely had like a massive impact on both Annie and I, and I'm sure like hundreds of other kids in the program. So I wanted to ask like, who do you think should join TGS? Like what is the type of person that you guys are looking for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wish that you guys could go back like 10 months and see who you were 10 months ago uh, because you're such different people now, which is so wonderful uh, because we're all growing and developing. And I think especially in, in TKS, it's kind of like supercharging that. But at the very beginning, like who we look for, it's actually really simple. It's people who are curious uh, and people who are willing to put in the effort and the time. Like they're, they have a desire to learn. That's the curiosity. They have this desire to be like, there's something more out there and I want to know what it is. There's that desire that's really, you can just see it. You can just sense it. And um, there's just the, the ability to put in the hard work and the time and the effort. That's it. Like, it's not about, it's so funny because I think at the end of the program, you see all these superstars that are doing crazy things. And we're like, well, how did they get to this level? And really it starts at 
pretty much ground zero. And you just need to be able to have the desire to really want to do it and then put in the effort. And that's also actually been so incredible to see um, that you don't have to be like a master coder to be in the science field, or you don't have to be like in the lab or be a doctor to be able to have like impact on people's health um, and things that will improve their lifestyle. So I think that's this, it's so interesting and it's so easy to tell to people who are just authentically curious and people who want to put in the work. That's it. That's all we look for. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm like thinking about you guys at the beginning of the program and that was true of you guys. And that's why you've ended up the way that you are today, which is so cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can remember myself how I was when uh, I entered, like for those listening right now, I'm working in nanotech. And when I entered, I didn't even know what nanotech was. And like the the journey and the growth within that journey has just been amazing. And on that note, on like, how how progress you know people are just people in in the end like they've gone through that journey they didn't just wake up being amazing at what they are I just wanted to ask you about the beginning of your journey because we know that Sasha and I know that uh, you started off as a lawyer right wanting to go down that path so uh, I I would love for us to talk a bit about like what made you um, make the change and pursue what you were actually you know passionate about education and how that and in, in how the beginning of your journey was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can stop me if I go into too much detail as well. Um, I think one of the biggest things that, because it has been a twisty, turny road, and I think one of the biggest things is I was really clear, we use this at TKS as well, but like on my North Star. And another way to say this is, um, Simon Sinek talks about this, it's very well versed, but just kind of the why. And I was pretty intentional at a young age to understand why I was doing. But then it turned out that the way that I did it changed a bunch of different forms. But I think the only reason why I had tolerance to do a bunch of different things is because my why actually stayed pretty much the same. So my quote unquote mission, why, all those, whatever you want to say it, um, is that I was really, I knew that I wanted to help build human dignity. And so another way to say that too is, um, how can we remove the barriers that people have in their lives to unlock their full potential? And in my, in like the short form, it's just like, how do we make sure that people get the dignity that they need to live the lives that they deserve? And so you can, and so I took it from a bunch of different approaches and I still believe that what I'm doing with TKS, it 100% aligns to that. Did I ever think I would be here? Absolutely not. Zero clue that this would be how I would be fulfilling that. Um, I first thought, like you said, Annie, that I was going to do it through the law. Um, So I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought, you know what, human dignity and making sure people can reach their full potential means justice. So I'm going to go the justice route. I only knew a few routes. I knew um, healthcare, right? Like people being able to be healthy was one option. Um, Education was another one. And then justice, which is like legal and safety. And so those were kind of the three routes I knew. And I was really freaked out by blood and guts. And so I knew I couldn't do it through the health, from what I knew about the healthcare industry at the time, that's really changed. But from what I knew about it, I was like, I can't be a doctor or a nurse because I I don't know. But I tried it. I did actually try pre-med for a little bit, but it was not a fit. And then um, education, I also tried, as you guys will hear, but 
I realized that like being a, a traditional classroom teacher um, wasn't going to be a fit either. And so I was like, well, lawyer, lawyer has the status, it has the credibility, I'll have the power horse of the whole law society behind me that, that I can make real change. Because that was my big desire. I wanted to make real change. I wanted to make sure people could reach their full potential. And so my whole, I was telling Sasha this the other day, I, it just clicked for me that I was set on being a lawyer until I was like 21. I'm 28 now. So it's only been like seven years since this has changed. And what's happened has been crazy since then. But I was like so set that like legal was, because it was also all I knew. I had really limited knowledge about what was out there for how you could impact people. And so I was like open to trying different things, but lawyer was kind of my focus. And you guys know what it's like when you're in high school and you're trying to get the grades, you're trying to get into university and you have this like one goal that's going to mean success to you. And that was lawyer for me. And so I was actually looking back a little stuck. Like my mom even tells me I was really stubborn. I was like, this is how I'm, this is what success means to me. I must be a lawyer. <laughs> and so I just did it. I, you know, did the valedictorian thing. I got high marks in university. I like did the courses that I would need to be able to be a lawyer. I did my LSAT. In the meantime of university, I was also like, a, I was still, I was always curious. And so I did try the educational route because I knew that was one other avenue that could work for reaching kind of like what I, that checked some of the boxes for me. And so I did, um, through my university years in the summer, I would teach English as a second language. One, it was an excuse to travel. And two, I really wanted to do a litmus test. And this is my biggest encouragement for anyone. If you have a mission, that's great. And if you have a goal, that's great. Continue to try things. So I was continuing to try things. That's always been my nature. And so I I was like, okay, well, I'll try the education thing while I'm in university because I may as well be open. And so I was a English as a second language teacher. And I went to China to do that. And then I also went to Lebanon and taught Syrian refugees to do that in my summers when I was a university student. Um, and so it was really mission aligned. And, and that's what I learned is education is absolutely the key that unlocks people's futures. Because I was with these Syrian refugees in refugee camps and I was teaching them English and it was going to be life-changing for them. If these students had English, then it would absolutely change their life. If they immigrated somewhere or if they needed to get a job, it is like the ultimate key. And so it hundred percent confirmed. I was like, that was kind of my first love of education. And I was like this, I need to keep this stored away in my heart because this is so life-giving for me to see the transformation that knowledge can be given to someone that person can receive it and actively put it into their lives and it will change the direction of their lives i'd never seen anything like that before um especially because i was also teaching adults and that was crazy i was literally teaching them the alphabet of like how to read english and it was going to impact their jobs like it was unbelievable the thing that I also learned is that I could never stay in a traditional classroom. It was so suffocating to me to be, because I really care about like big impact and scale. And so I couldn't, I knew I wouldn't be able to be a traditional teacher. It just was, I wouldn't be able to do it. It was not creative enough for me. It wasn't bigger, bigger thinking enough for me. So I had like a really good confirmation. And then I also got a kind of like no go. And this is life, right? You go take one step forward, you get one piece of data and it tells you one thing about one direction and it tells you another thing. And so I got this piece of data about education and I was like, okay, I know I love the feeling of this and this could probably be done in a different way that makes sense. But right now 
it's in a classroom and my data point is saying that this is not the direction to go. So I swerved back to being, you know, a lawyer in my university years. And so I had a really wise mentor when I graduated and I did my LSAT that told me that before I went to law school, because it's such a huge commitment to go spend a year with lawyers, just to see similar to what I did with teaching English as a second language to get that data point before I invested like three, five years of my life. And I'm so thankful. So I went and I worked with a team of lawyers that was working with um, a Supreme Court case. So in our country, we have the Supreme Court of Canada, and it was one of the biggest cases of the year. And so I was really fortunate to be able to get on this team and work on literally building the case for the Supreme Court and working on all the PR and the news and all these things. And some of the smartest lawyers in the country, because you have to be at a certain level in order to even present to the Supreme Court of Canada and the Supreme Judges. And uh, it was a whole year. I don't even remember. They call it a factum when you submit it for a trial. And I don't even remember how long it was. I think it was like 100 200 pages factum. It was crazy. We spent a year prepping for this case. Like it was insane. And um, it just gave, I'm not going to go into the details of the case right now, but it it gave me such a good look, as you can imagine, such a good look at what it looks like. Because this was um, law being done at the highest level. And um, I had so many conversations with lawyers because I was spending all my time with them. And it was really valuable because there were a lot of things that I really enjoyed about it. I liked the way that they thought. I really liked critical thinking. I really loved debating. I love the oral presentation of the lawyer, how you structure arguments. I think I even use that today when I'm doing sessions and teaching. But uh, there was a whole cultural that was not a fit for me. And so I, I still believe that justice is one of the greatest things that we can do to help to help people reach their full potential. I just think that I was expanding a bit of my view of myself. So I was just learning more about myself and how maybe it didn't fit to that, what I thought was going to be. Anyways, that year happened and I was like, okay, I might not be getting there, but I was really like, no, this is success for me. I need to be a lawyer. This is what it means. And so I tried it from another angle. I tried from the nonprofit approach. And so I moved to DC, Washington and I joined one of the biggest anti-human trafficking organizations. Global, It's a global anti-human trafficking organization. And it was an awesome experience. And this nonprofit, basically, globally, it um, sends out lawyers and social workers to go and advocate for um, people that are in slavery. So this is not just human sex trafficking, but this is also uh, any type of slavery, like fishing boats, factories, males, and females. and um, it was a crazy experience. Like every morning we would meet in our headquarters. There was like, you know, a couple thousand staff around the world, but in our headquarters, I think there was only like 300 to 500 of us. And uh, we would meet every morning and we would talk about the people that had been set free from slavery, from the work that had been done by our lawyers and our social workers and the aftercare that these victims were now receiving from our social workers and the aftercare programs that we had and the recovery that they were going to do. And to see such heroes doing this has changed the way that I live my life in a lot of ways because there was also a lot of hard news, right? Like you're hearing about a lot of really difficult situations of people trapped in slavery. And every day we're like sending resources or sending people or working with the police force or working with the government or whatever in all these different countries. And so what I learned from that is like what it 
what it felt like to be so mission aligned. I had never felt so mission aligned in my life to feel that type of like fulfillment because it's like the ultimate cause, right? And it was like totally measuring up to, to what gave me a lot of life. Um, and what I also learned from the nonprofit world is it's very di different than the legal world. I'd also worked at my university for, for a little while. So very different than the educational world that I had been a part of. The nonprofit world, the thing that, um, again, I think I just learned about myself was that there's a lot of red tape in the nonprofit world. And I like to make things move. I like to build things. I like to do it quickly. I like to try, build, fail, try, build, fail. Um, and that's very difficult to do in a nonprofit environment because it's not for profit, which means that you don't have your own money at your own disposal. It's often done through fundraising. So that means a lot of the fundraising um, is actually dictating the work that you can do. That was really frustrating to me. And so it made me ask this question, okay, if the people with the money and the power are making these decisions, even if they're donating it to these great organizations, how does that work? How does that work to understand money and power? And I had done an internship in university and government. So I understood a little bit about the power side, but I didn't quite get the money side just yet. And so I felt so compelled that I wanted to be someone that had a this is funny, a seat at the table um, with money and resources to be able to give to the type of organization that I was working at because I had never met such mission-driven people that were literally working. I, I just have never met such invested people than that team. And it was electric to be a part of. And they were limited by the resources that they had. And I was like, I want to be someone that understands how these resources work so that this organization gets to continue to do the great work that they are doing. So <clears throat> they offered me a full-time role there. And uh, I was thinking about staying in DC. I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. And um, it was a big decision because guys, this was the height. Like this was, I had reached where I thought was... Like, you know, when you're younger and you just kind of have this, like, when I get here, I will be happy. Do you guys have that feeling? I don't, have you ever had that? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so there's like this image of yourself and this, this is, I was living it. I was like, I was in DC, the capital of the U S it was awesome. I love that city. I had friends. I was working with this like mission driven organization that also was working with lawyers. And I was like, all of the pieces should be coming together now because I'm like, I figured it out. I um, figured out how I'm going to be a lawyer in a great organization that's super mission driven, that's having impact. And, and I, and that question of like this, this limitation of resources continued to bug me. And I was like, you know what? I'm too young. I'm too young to have made this decision. I am going to go out and try one more approach to life and see if I can figure out this question. And, um, and I say this in like laughing, but it was a really difficult decision because I really, I was also feeling really lost. I put a lot of identity into kind of this like legal and then also nonprofit field, human rights, justice, because it's a, it's an, it's such incredible work that's being done. And um, I also still believe, like I'm still involved with these types of organizations and I believe I will continue to be involved with them because it, it has changed me and I'll never be the same after doing that. I just, I was also still learning more about myself though. And so um, I decided that I, lawyer was probably not going to be 
the avenue for me. And that was a hit. Like I had put so much identity in that. And, and I talked to all my lawyer friends and they said, Jen, you, you would be a fine lawyer, but I just don't think you'll use all the skills that you actually want to use. And, and they were right too. And so after like, I I was, so I was probably 20, 21 years old. And I finally was like, okay, I think I'm willing to, to let this go. You know, like, I I think I'm willing to recognize that this probably isn't going to be a fit for me, even though I so passionately still support that type of work and justice work. Um, And when I was talking to Sasha about this, it's crazy because after that, like, I was thinking like a lot of my friends also went to law school and they're just finishing like their articling year or their first year of work. So like right now they are just starting their because law school is such a huge process as it should be. And they're just starting their kind of like careers this year. And to think back of what has happened in my life since then is like so different and like so transformative. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that like, I had almost the humility to give up what I thought was going to be the thing and what success looked like for me and change that definition of success. And this is the funny thing. Like when we talk about unconventional thinking, it comes at a cost. It means that you have to have this big goal, this big audacious dream, and then you have to be okay with recognizing that you're going to get new data points and you have to change your definition of what success looks like, or even expand it for yourself when you learn more about yourself. And that does not come without a lot of energy. Like it was a lot of up and downs. Like it took a lot of energy to do that. Right. And so, uh, anyways, all that to say, I was in DC and I got this call from this guy in Vancouver, mutual connections. He was a buddy of a buddy. And, uh, he told me about this company that he was working at or building actually not working at building. And, I was like, okay, sure. I'll take this call. I'm in DC, still working at this nonprofit, like wrestling with what I should do as my next step. And if I should stay or if I should try something different and what that would even look like. And, uh, he talks to me about his company and guys, his company is a Christmas light company. It's so different than what I am doing. It is so different than the path that I'm on that I feel is like, I'm so proud of that. I had equated with so much status and respect and, and this guy is so convicted. And I, I, this is like my first exposure to like entrepreneurship. Like he is, you know, the classic didn't go to post-secondary dropped out of high school. Like he is the classic entrepreneur. And he tells me about this Christmas like company that he's building. And then he tells me this vision that he has. And this is what you learn about really good entrepreneurs. Their vision is so compelling that you want to join them, no matter if it's bobbles or Christmas lights or whatever. And his vision was all about, catch this, making experiences so that people could come together. And so that people that might not be able to like have a lot of means or success, like could come and experience um, really life-changing times together to create like joy and happiness in their lives. And I was like, okay, I don't know how you attach that to Christmas lights, but this actually sounds really cool. And, um, he also like, he's, he's a talk about 10 X thinking he is 10 X thinking all the time. And so his vision is 
I won't go into details about it, but it was it was huge and it was a sustainable mission and it was checking a lot of the boxes, even though it made no sense how it was checking boxes for me. But I was like, this is really aligned to actually what I believe about treating people, impact in the world. Like, this is so strange. Anyways, he offered me a job. I was like, thanks, no way. And so I like literally, I didn't actually say that. Um, and but I I was like, I I, you know, I'll, thank you. I'll think about this. I'm in DC right now, so not sure. And, uh, and then I talked to all, all of my mentors and, and, uh, I was like, guys, I think I'm crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to go over and do something so different, but it answers this question that I've been having about, um, reason like money, money. And I need to figure out this piece in order to figure out like how to kind of navigate the world better. And this guy is building this company. He's inviting me to build it alongside and start departments and do things and learn and, and, and be alongside for this crazy journey that he's on. And so even though it sounded crazy, you know, I vetted it. Everyone was like, just do it. And the thing is, is that when you do like a worst case scenario, my worst case scenario was going, I went through it. I do a lot of pros and cons list. And my worst case scenario was going to Vancouver, working with this company, totally crashing and burning and failing. And then what would I do? I'd go back to DC for the nonprofit job, or I'd go back and go to law school. And so it was like, I mean, the worst case scenario is that I'm doing exactly what I'm doing right now. So why not go and try it out? And if it fails, this is, I'll just be back where I know I'll come back for this job or I'll go to law school. And that's kind of like my worst case scenario. So I'll go do that. And so I went and I'm not kidding for my first day, he sends me this address and it is the basement of his house. Like it is legitimately the, the startup story. I walk into a basement of, I, I literally, I couldn't believe it. It's like, this is probably not a great sign. I walk into the basement of his house and there are five other people just in rolly chairs at desks, just typing away. And we have pizza for lunch and I'm employee number four or five, whatever. There was Cindy in accounting, Jordan, you know, in operations, me, a designer and Ke and Kevin, like this, the founder. It was crazy. And I was with that company for three years. And in the three years, the, the business model is, is, is really quite complicated. So I won't explain it too much here, but basically what we would do is host massive um, Christmas light festivals and we would rent out baseball arenas and basically build like a Disneyland of lights inside uh, the baseball field over the month, over the Christmas season. And um, it was, it's like 90,000 square feet. So it's huge. The sculptures are a hundred feet tall and we would host about 300,000 people at one event um, in one month. And so at the time that I was working there, we were in two cities. So that was 600,000 people. It was two months I was into my job and I was managing like a hundred to 200 businesses that were like vendors and partners. Um, and we were welcoming 600,000 guests and it was nuts. Like it was crazy. And the scale just continued. And this was a physical company. So when you think about scale and logistics, it was massive. And um, we would hire about 300 to 500 people in each city and train them for each of the events. And so it was just massive scale right off the bat. And so it meant if anyone has been in startup culture, 
I was, you know, the marketing person. I was also helping out with legal. I was also doing employee training for hundreds of staff on site, traveling a ton. Um, and then we started building our headquarters. So we would have seasonal staff and then we started building our headquarters. And in the three years that I was there, we were up to a, over a hundred employees. Again, I started at employee number five and, um, and we, we hosted over 2 million people. Right. So it was, it was nuts. Like it was a crazy experience. And, uh, I did everything from marketing to, building out their e-commerce store to creating products to be sold to hiring multiple teams to um, just endless things. But be was able to be a, when you start early at a company, you get to be in leadership positions quite early. So I think I was 24, 24 when I had my first team and I, I was in charge of a team of eight full time. And then also um, like, training hundreds of people on staff, um, on site in this, in locations. So it was a really wonderful experience. And I think I learned so much about how the business world world works and about how departments are created and all the things and all the not sexy things that you hear about the startup world as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a, it just, it changed everything about my life on, how to bring things to life, entrepreneurship. Um, it's just a really, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And even just the ability to like make myself uncomfortable, do something that I never thought I'd be able to do and how capable we are as human beings to learn. And when people believe in you and and you're given like the tools that you need to succeed, really anything is possible. And, and that was a really cool lesson to learn. And I, I was really believed in when I was very young um, and it changed my life. So um, then it leads me to the Knowledge Society. And so that was kind of in that, in, in the time that I was involved with other nonprofits and joined a, um, a board of governors for a nonprofit. So been able to kind of like keep my, my passion aligned, did my TED talk um, as well, which was really cool. So lots of opportunities to be able to like keep my my personal passions aligned because I think that was the biggest thing that stood out about startup world was I, I was learning that the business and the growth side was really exciting and, I, and I'm excited to do that again as well. But there has to be also that component of a lot of uh, mission alignment. And that was where it started to change for me uh, when we were with the company is I, I, really, I was missing that feeling that I got when I was teaching or when I was in um, the nonprofit of, of being really mission aligned. And, and that's kind of like where that desire to kind of switch back into education came up again. Wow. I just like to say that is a very wild ride, definitely an unconventional path. And that story is truly inspiring to hear because you've went on so many different journeys and like from my look at it, it's almost like you've lived a bunch of mini lives, which is definitely super cool, but like the thing that stood out to me was that you always had like that North star, like you talked about, like the chasing human potential. So like I've heard, um, I've heard something about like purpose and like purpose layers. So like completing one. So this kind of sounds like yours, like you complete when you move on to the next thing, but you've had like this one thing that's been consistent all through. So I want to know, like, how did you, how did you find that? Did you develop it? Did something, some experience have, have you that was just like self-reflection? Yeah. I think I, um, 
when I was younger, there was a lot of things that happened. Like I grew up in a really small town and there was a lot of like, um, like mental health crises and suicides in my town as well. So it made me ask some really big questions when I was really young in my teen years. And also, I think living in a small town, there was always this desire of like, there has to be more. And so I started traveling when I was really young. And I saw poverty when I was really young. Um, when I was a teenager, I saw and was exp- had, to be honest, I think it was a really important um, privilege to be able to see and travel at that age because I, I saw that my little bubble was a very little bubble and that the world was much bigger beyond me. And so I think actually through the experience of seeing suffering, both personally in my friend group and then also globally in um, these different places that there is poverty and just a lot of injustice, it really lit this fire that um, I, I, ju- I don't, and I think some of this also people are just given, but I think being able to be exposed to those types of things I just really, I wanted there to be more than that. And I was like, there has to be something more. There has to be something that can be done um, to alleviate suffering and to make sure that people, again, can remove, whether it's like a mental health thing, how how can we think about that barrier and manage it in order for people to live their full life? Or if it's something that's like physical, like poverty, how can we give people what they need to overcome these barriers to hopefully live a life Um, that they can be proud of in the end? And how do we give them the dignity to do that? And so I think it was those really formative experiences in my teen years, both personally and then being able to to see suffering on like a global level that sparked that. And then the curiosity and almost like trying to find the answer, even though there is no answer, I've realized (laughs) to that. When I was younger, I thought there was. It was pretty black and white. I think as we get older, we recognize things are never black and white. Um, and, but that that pursuit of trying to figure out, well, if I've seen this, if I've been exposed to this level of suffering, what then can I do? And I think I, there was just kind of this internal responsibility that kind of sparked that desire to have um, that type of like mission in my life. Well, first of all, that's also an amazing mission to have. And as Sasha said before, that's sure like a hell of a ride. It's an amazing journey. And I'm sure like, there were some challenges along the way. Like, I don't think any ride can be smooth, you know? So what would you say were like maybe the biggest or some of the biggest challenges that you faced, like maybe even before um, like finding your North Star or even like in the pursuit of it after? Um, You mentioned like a lot of insightful things in your story, but just to double down on like, what the challenges were and maybe like if if you developed any strategies in order to overcome them or what you did when they they came about Mm -hmm. I think I mean I mentioned it with um a little bit when I realized that like law was not going to be the thing that I pursued and to be honest guys I still kind of feel like I might be a lawyer when I'm like 40 I'm like why not maybe I do go to law school we'll see Um, but the thing, it's really scary to be different than other people. And I think I've always felt different. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of examples because I grew up in a really small town. Um, there, 
like a lot of people don't even go to post-secondary school in the community that I'm from. And so I really didn't understand like what was out there. I actually only thought there were like five careers, like lawyer, engineer, doctor, nurse, teacher. Like I really did not, I didn't know. And so to not fit into that box or not want to fit into that box. And then with the lawyer thing to realize that maybe what I had learned about myself doesn't fit into that box. It, it feels a little, it can feel very alienating. And I think that that's the thing that um, when we surround ourselves, like this is what I've learned is I've been able to surround myself with more people who are also a little misfits, you know, and that's wonderful because then I realize that I'm not crazy. But up until this point, like I, I, I was around people who also didn't get it. They were like, wait, why would you go and join a start? What is a startup? Why would you even go join that? And, and even like with technology, people are like, what do you mean? Like, what, what is this? And I think that that's one of the big challenges is when you do things differently, um, you're always going to get questioned. And I think that's where uh, there's a lot of insecurity that can come up and the, the challenge of, of recognizing, do I believe in myself enough that I'm going to take this risk? And I think that's the other thing is um, I was, a, again, a, a really big perfectionist growing up because I, I really wanted to fit into the box. And so when things were not going the way that I thought, I was really distressed and I thought that I was a failure, even though objectively I, I wasn't a failure. It wasn't meeting my definition of success. And so I was really difficult on myself. And then when people would question me, I would have a lot of self-doubt. And so there's a lot of that that has to be overcome, especially when you're going to do things differently. Everything is a risk. No, And the thing in life, everything is always going to be a risk. But um, it there was a lot of tolerance that had to be built up with, am I okay if this doesn't work out? Am I going, literally my self-worth as Jenna, am I going to be okay if I even made the wrong decision and I have to go back and do something? Um, and so I think there was a lot of that. And, and then again, just the other challenge was finding people who it's, it's hard. Like there's a lot of transition of friendships and, and belief systems and, it took a lot of effort to find people and surround myself with people that cheered me on and also that got it. And I think that's a challenge too. And, and it, some people never break out of that, right? Like sometimes it's too hard to find new relationships or break out of relationships that might not be um, the most healthy for you. And so there was challenges with that along the way as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the, one of the things that TKS does really well. Like we have, like when I talk to my friends at school about like all the tech, they're just like, what the heck is material science? Like, why would you, why were you, why are you going to these hackathons, Sasha? And I'm just like, eh, whatever. Cause like I have people at TKS that I can talk to. So I think that's definitely a really big benefit. And yeah, like imposter syndrome, that definitely, I think something that a lot of people face, like um, we were talking to Sanskriti for our first episode and she mentioned that as well. So would you say that you have any like strategies for like dealing with that or overcoming that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to practicing too. Like 
we're always going to feel fear, right? We're all, especially if we're putting ourselves in places that are stretching and growing, those are not going to be places that we feel comfortable. We're always going to feel like that. And if we want to grow as people, we should feel like that. If we're not feeling like that, then we're probably not in the right environment. And so I think seeing those feelings of fear or imposter syndromes, like separate from who you are and being able to really look at them and be like, okay, I know I'm feeling afraid or I know that I'm feeling threatened. Um, but that's, that's a feeling. Is that going to stop me or not? Because there's things that we can control life and there's things that we can't. And so, yeah, I'm going to feel imposter syndrome. I'm going to feel fear. I'm going to feel um, like I don't belong places. I'm going to feel like I'm maybe an outcast places. And then it's my decision if I'm going to let that feeling be the story that I continue to live or if I'm actually just going to practice doing it. And I think the only way that we get better at managing those voices is by doing it. Like, And whether that's starting to practice that in safe environments, like with your friends and doing things that make you uncomfortable there and then building it up, or just like, you know, doing things that scare you and, um, you, and maybe going in maybe a place that's new and not so safe. And I think that it really is practice because my biggest strategy, no, my biggest piece of knowledge is that those feelings, they never change, but we get better at managing them. And um, we get better at managing them through being able to separate it from like our lived experience and the story we're telling ourselves about the lived experience. They um, get better managed through practice by just doing it more. And they get better um, by also like in inviting other people along for the journey. And so I think a lot of these negative feelings that we feel, they grow and they fester or the fears, they grow and they fester. They, they, you know, we call it a spiral monkey in cohort, but they just continue to live and grow like a breathing, living being, our fears do, unless we tell them, but also other people come in and they cheer you on or they tell you, hey, you're doing a great job. Like if you need to hear encouragement when you're feeling scared, ask for it, you know, like surround yourself with people around that. Or if something goes wrong, have the people there that can speak into it, that can workshop it with you, that can troubleshoot it with you. And so I think really having that like accountability with other people, that community with other people, mentorship, I think the negative voice really starts to grow or the fears start to grow or the imposter syndrome starts to grow when we isolate. And I think so much can be helped when we step out of isolation, which is also scary and vulnerable, when we step out of isolation, when we invite other people into the process. So those would be kind of my biggest strategies. Amazing. And I can definitely agree with Sasha. Uh, like, I, I think I, I've really found my people this year. Um, and I love the spiral monkey reference. It was definitely one, some like very insightful piece of information there in session. And it definitely helped me look at my fears in a whole other perspective. And also something else that we talk a lot in TKS is about mindsets, right? So I wanted to ask you, what do you think are like the most important mindsets that maybe you had or maybe you developed along the journey that have helped you, you know, overcome some of the things you mentioned before? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many. I feel, I feel like, um, like there's personal ones and then there's some TKS ones. So I'll definitely spit out my favorite TKS ones and then maybe I can talk about my first ones. But uh, I think the, 
like the done is better than perfect is such a great mindset. I mean, we kind of talked about this with like understanding the difference between high standards and perfectionism. And it really, like, it really gets your butt into gear. You're like, okay, I need to get out of my head and just get this done. And if it's not perfect, I'm going to live with it. It's going to be okay. Uh, I think figuring it out too. And when I say figuring it out, there is this, this underlying level of the, the mindset of like trusting your future self. So trusting that you will be able to figure it out when, you know, bad things happen or difficult things happen. I think that's a big one for me is um, life can feel really overwhelming. And especially when hard things happen in the moment, it feels like we are going to die. Like it is, it's so difficult, right? And I think trusting that we have the people in our lives or the inner resources in our lives that we will be able to figure it out. And so even if there's something really big or daunting um, that we might have to come up to, and we don't know how we're going to do that in the moment, to trust that our future selves will be able to figure that out. And I think trusting that trusting that future self, because if you've done the work, you can trust that person, um, it's been a really powerful one. And I think that goes hand in hand with, I do, I trust that even when things feel impossible, that in the future, I'll be able to hopefully figure it out because I have a good track record so far, right? And if, even if I don't, in the places that I didn't do well, I've, I've really learned from it and, you know, hopefully be able to apply those lessons in the future. Um, so I think those two are the big ones. And then a bias towards action. I think just in life, so much um, of the time we can stay in our heads and even say words and not always mean them. And I think this comes into like, what does it mean to be a genuine, sincere person and an, and someone that is like a positive agent in the world? And I think that happens through action and we can become very passive I know I can become very passive. I can procrastinate. I can think about even texting this person and then not do it. And I just think that a bias towards action and and being able to do things, build things, serve people like in every area, being able to just do it, uh, get out of our heads and just do it. It is, I think it's one of the biggest differences between what you see, people who you see all the time that are, you know, building things or successful, quote unquote, um, I think that's one of the biggest differentiators is that they just did something, you know, because we all, everyone can learn, everyone can do things, everyone can build things. Um, but the difference really is, do you do it or do you not? And I think we we all have access to endless resources. So do we do something with them or do we not? And I think that's one of the biggest ones too, for me. Yeah, definitely. All those mindsets are some of my favorites as well. Um, I wanted to ask as some advice for anybody who's listening to this right now that might be feeling stuck, they might not know what they want to do. What would you say about like unconventional paths? Like how would you recommend that somebody like start their own journey on an unconventional path, seeing how unconventional yours has been and how that's led you to be like 100% fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think beyond the strategies that I mentioned before, of like surrounding yourself with people, putting it into practice you know, trying it in safe environments and then maybe trying it in more uncomfortable environments. Um, my biggest, and these are kind of like pieces of advice too, is like really to, to let off the pressure and try stuff, like give yourself the freedom to fail. Um, because the thing about the unconventional path is that there is no playbook ever. And so there's no right way of doing it. And that's the best part about staying in more conventional places is that there is a correct way of doing it. You know, 
get the nine to five job, get the thing, get married, have a house, have kids. Like there is a, you know, templated way that like success can look like, and you can actually say this was right. If you abide by that when it's unconventional, then all of a sudden the playbook, there's nothing. And so that means when there's no rules, there's no way to know, to know what the right way is to do it. So that means you have to try things. And that means that you're going to fail at some of them because there's no right way to do it. And so I think being able to give yourself the permission to fail, to give yourself the permission to not get it right and to recognize that that is not equal to you being a failure. That's the biggest thing. The second thing would be um, like facing fears as soon as you can. Because I think when you start facing your fears, any type of fears, you will be more resilient to face the big fears and the big risks, which is also when you're going off the normal path, right? Like those are scary places. And so, and you're going to come up with hard things. And so the faster that we figure out skills to learn how to face our fears. And by that, I just mean like identify the situations that might be causing these narratives that we tell ourselves about things that might not be true or irrational. Um, or when like, you know, I, it took me a long time to recognize that fear was a motivator for a lot of my actions especially because I was positively rewarded for a lot of my reaction, my actions, and they weren't bad, but fear of not being enough was what motivated them. And that ends up burning you out. Right. And so face learning how to face your fears, whether that's through therapy or friends or programs, or I don't know, some TikTok or YouTube, I don't know, but being able to like learn how to face your fears and being honest about that. And I think that's a big one because that skill never goes away. And if you do it with the small things, you'll also do it with the big things. That's true about everything in life. And especially when it comes to facing your fears. So if you face your fear about eating something that you don't like, you'll also be able to face your fear about maybe starting your own company. You know, like that's, that's the compounding effect. There's a compounding a nature to everything that we do. And I think facing fears is a big one. And then the last one, cause I think we're going to be done our time pretty soon is, um, in order to do the unconventional path, you have to be really resilient. I think you have to build resilience as a person. And one of my greatest gifts, and I didn't know I was doing this also, uh, was that when times were okay in my life, I built a lot of good structures in my life. And I kind of use it as an image of like scaffolding. Like if I was building a house, I had like really strong foundation. I had really strong scaffolding. So that when really bad things happened, or if you're doing an unconventional path, because again, it's going to have a lot of failures. So when the hard things happen, when you fail, when you get rejected from something, when something that you dreamed about doesn't work out, all those things, hard things happen, then you have these really strong structures in place in your life that can hold you up without you having to like make it happen then because you're exhausted when hard things are happening or you're frustrated or you're sad or you're depressed when hard things happen. And so like a really, a real example is this, like when I was in my early twenties, you know, I started setting up these good structures in my life, meaning being physically fit, um, like having a good diet, having an accountability group with girls that I really care about that we would meet all the time to talk about what's going on in our life. Um, having a spiritual life that I was really deeply invested in, having a healthy marriage. Like there was a lot of things that were set up in my life, like having a good more, like little things, even good morning routine, knowing what I enjoy, a good nighttime routine, not sleeping with my phone in my room, like little things that were just like 
a part of my life that were like habits built in. So when really hard things happen or disappointed things happen um, or uncertain things happen as they do when you do unconventional things, those things never changed. Those were true. So that when I would have a bad day, I would still get up. I would do my meditation. I would go for my walk. I would have my sauna. You know, I would do the things that would make me feel okay as a person so that I was still healthy in the midst of sometimes chaos, which is what happens when you don't do things like everyone else does things. And so I think that's my biggest thing is do that as soon as you can. Build the structure in your life so that when life gets a little chaotic, you have them firmly grounded and that when you feel like things might be falling in, you have something strong for it to fall into, if that makes sense. Wow. And thank you so much for that, first of all. And I feel that just such an amazing note to end on. So lastly, um, what would you say are like three, let's say bullet points or main takeaways that the people listening should take from this conversation, even if like all those knowledge can be summed up in three bullet points, like give it a shot. Like what would you say? Nice. You guys can also summarize them. One, come be a part of TKS because we have so much fun. <laughs> exactly. But we do. It's awesome. It's like it's like the embodiment of people who live lives and want to help other people live good lives. It's just so good. And um, but actually, I think I think the main yeah, the main three things like, um, you know, do do things that might scare you build a life that can handle the chaos that might happen because of that, because you're going to take risks in your life and um, surround yourself with really good people. And I think that's kind of the big, those are the big three that I would say. That was a beautiful place to end it. Thank you so much, Jenna. This was an incredibly inspiring conversation and I really enjoyed hearing about all your twisty turny story. It was definitely something that I'm going to be remembering when trying to find my own unconventional path. But yeah, thank you so much again. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Such a pleasure. Bye.